0: Happy Mother's Day to all of you moms out there. Boy, I so wish you and your families could be here in this room so we could spend this time face-to-face, but uh, just know this in this interim period. I know we'll be back together one of these days, but just know this. We so appreciate everything you do to make life and home the best that it can be. As we continue in this series on if our walls could talk or these walls could talk, a quick glance at scripture reminds us that mothers have served their families in all kinds of homes and within all kinds of walls. Eve, she was surrounded with garden walls. Rebecca, tent walls. Abigail in palace walls. Lois and Eunice in house walls. You see, the walls don't matter but making each place a home does. This may be Mother's Day, but the message is for everyone in the family because each individual, from the youngest to the oldest, is responsible for making home the place it ought to be. So for you young ones, I've got an idea this morning. Sometime today, would you take a little bit of time, thoughtful time, and then make a list, write down those things that you can do to make your home a better place. Maybe you start with uh, uh, cleaning up your room or, or doing some chores to help out with the family. You're smart. You're really smart. I know you can come up with a great list. As a matter of fact, why don't you uh, have a little contest to see who can come up with the best list in making home a better place? Kids are parents. And kids, I think you can win this, honestly. And if you want to give your mom the best Mother's Day gift ever, then practice what you put on the list. With, family sing, with families practicing the shelter-at-home kind of requirements these days, you may be spending a Mother's Day unique to all Mother's Days of the past. Um, you're going to have to do some creative thinking on how to express your love and appreciation For your mom. And with all the technology available to us today, uh, you can do some creative things to help communicate to your mother uh, or to somebody important in your family how much you appreciate what they're doing. Here's just an example that, that my girls have put together. This may spark some creativity in your own mind. Take a look at this. Hi, Mom. We want to take a minute to wish you a happy Mother's Day and tell you of all the reasons we are grateful for you. Thank you for always being available for us, whether it is to offer a listening ear, words of wisdom, or babysitting our kids. Thank you for loving us unconditionally, always putting our needs before yours, offering an encouraging word or a warm meal. Thank you for praying for us and for being a godly example of a mother and a wife. Thank you for loving our kids. What a beautiful thing it is to witness the love between you and your grandkids. As mothers ourselves, we now have a deeper understanding and appreciation of the sacrifices you made and continue to make for our family. We are blessed by you every day, and we love you more than words can express. Happy Mother's Day! And men, don't tune me out this morning. This is not a Mother's Day sermon. It's a sermon for all of us that just happens to fall on Mother's Day. And because we all live in different kinds of places, I've entitled this sermon, Home Walls. And here's why. Uh, When Elsie and I married nearly 43 years ago, we moved into an apartment in the greater St. Louis area, uh, in the uh, community of Florissant to be exact. Uh, We thought it was terrific. Long, shag, carpet carpet. Avocado green appliances. It was on the third floor, has small balcony deck kind of thing off that uh, one of the rooms. And um, it was an outside stairs, uh, outside entrance. There wasn't an elevator. That got old real quick, I can tell you. But it was a great place to start and we have wonderful memories from there. From there, Elsie and I moved into a parsonage, then a borrowed home for a few months and then into a tiny FHA house when we moved here due to the fact that the mortgage interest rates were 17 and 18%. We've rented places, and we've owned places. They were different shapes, sizes, colors, and styles, but each one of them was always home for me. Not because of what was there, but because of who. When I walked through the door and I found Elsie and Emily and Rebecca inside those walls, I knew I was home. You know, God doesn't give us a whole lot of information about heaven, but he does paint the same picture. Heaven is beautiful, majestic, and beyond imagination according to the Scriptures. But when Paul writes about dying, I'm struck by what Paul doesn't say. Paul didn't write, to be absent from the body is to arrive at heaven's gates. Nor did he say, to be absent from the body is to be surrounded by indescribable celestial beauty. No, when Paul wrote about dying, this is what he said. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. You see, it's all about who's there. Now I have this theory. When we step over that eternal threshold, I don't even think we're going to notice the incredible beauty. I think we'll be consumed by the image of the one who would rather die than live without us. Heaven will be heaven because the Lord is there. And honestly, I don't think we'll even be able to take our eyes off him when we first arrive home. So how do we make our home walls here a little touch of heaven in this world? Well, let's just go back to Eve for a minute, okay? She's the only mother in Scripture, as far as we know, whose home was a garden. And not any garden, mind you, but the Garden of Eden. It was a perfect place, at least for a certain amount of time. You know, if time machines were real, and you could pick any time in history to go back, I've got a lot of times picked, but this would be one of them. I'd love to go back and visit the Garden of Eden. How about you? I mean, wouldn't you like to know what Adam and Eve were like or what the garden that God created in its perfection was all about? I mean, what was the best fruit in the garden? Did Adam have to eat vegetables every day? Did they cook anything or was everything consumed raw? Did Adam and Eve ever argue about whose turn it was to pick for what they were going to have for supper? Who cleaned up the cores, the cobs, and tossed the leaves? Did they compost? Did they save the seeds? Man, I've got lots of questions. But when it comes to our homes, a garden is a good place to start. As a matter of fact, when Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia, he used gardening as an an analogy to strengthen the church family and by comparison our own personal families. And this picture is for all of us living within home walls. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This is what we read. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now there's just one fruit in the garden. Did you notice? The fruit, singular, of the Spirit is, and it is a powerful fruit the fruit however is described in nine different terms here and this seems to be confusing to people they think it's nine different fruits no it's one fruit this is all supposed to be evident in the life of a christian but nine descriptive terms so that we understand what this fruit is like now that, i don't i don't have a problem with that suppose you'd never seen or tasted a strawberry if i simply told you that well a strawberry's red you wouldn't have any clue if it tasted like a red apple or a red habanero chili pepper. You'd be clueless other than the fact that you knew it was red. But what if I described a strawberry with a little bit more detail? Wonderfully sweet fruit, distinctly pleasant aroma, somewhat triangular in shape, covered with tiny edible seeds, juicy texture, perfect on homemade ice cream, great for making jellies and jams. Now, I realize you still wouldn't know what it tasted like, but you could at least recognize it, and you'd be at least excited about trying one and tasting it. Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit in such a way as to make it recognizable and desirable. And the first descriptive term, of course, is love. Paul doesn't necessarily suggest these are in any kind of order of importance, but I would suggest that the very first one is the most important one. You see, love, love for the Christian is the heartbeat of all that we do and all that we are. It is the heartbeat of the greatest commandment to begin with. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than thee. Okay, so love is at the top when it comes to commands. Love is the virtue that consolidates all others. Colossians three fourteen, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Love is the single most distinguishing characteristic of the Christian life. 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And love is essential in order for us to connect, to have a relationship with God. First John chapter 4, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. You see what I mean? There's nothing quite like the power of love. And if we don't get this one, none of the rest of the descripti- descriptive terms or virtues really matter. We won't get them either. So love is the starting point. Now i got to tell you, we men don't do well with this word love. It's not a manly sounding concept. It, it feels gushy, touchy-feely. It's too feminine for our comforts. But guys, we need not shy away from this virtue as if it is not a manly virtue. As a matter of fact, the greatest father of all is described as not just loving, but being love. God is love. Now, what does that mean? That's kind of a a, a tough concept to get our hand uh, and head around. What is the meaning of God is love? and, And exactly what kind of love are we talking about here? Well, the problem for us is our own language limitations. We have one single word that covers a whole arena of feelings, but thankfully the scripture breaks it down in a lot of different ways and makes it clear. It helps us understand what what the Bible means when it says God is love. The word we have read in every passage about love so far is the Greek word agape. Now, you've probably heard that word before. It is the word that describes the love of God. It's not a romantic kind of love. It's not a family kind of love. It's not a friendship kind of love. This love, this agape, is God at his purest. Agape flows from the intellect, not the emotions. It is proactive, not reactive. It responds with reason, not with feeling. Agape commits itself to the well-being of the person who is its object. Now, did you, did you catch that? Let me say that again. Agape commits itself to the well-being of the person who is its object. Agape never says, I will love you if, because that's conditional. Agape always says, I love you in spite of. That's unconditional. That's unselfish. That's totally adequate. Every other virtue is secondary to this love. Agape is the umbrella under which every other loving expression of our lives becomes genuine and real. So how does this love of God translate into our lives? Well, basically agape means that you commit yourself to the well-being of the object of that love. Now, most of the time our minds would go to spouse or children or parents or close friends. But this also applies to the grouch that lives down the street on the block with you that you don't really even care about being around you can still be concerned about his or her well-being you see that that's where this lifts itself out of our feelings and becomes a choice that we make now i don't know who wrote this but i really like it i always thought agape was love for the unlovely until i realized that agape doesn't even notice unlovely and why is that true it's because love is a choice Okay? It, it's a choice. Mother Teresa said, if you can't do great things, do little things with great love. If you can't do them with great love, do them with a little love. And if you can't do them with a little love, do them anyway. That's agape. It's doing what is best for someone else, whether you feel like it or not. It's doing the right thing. It's making the right choice. First John chapter 3 says, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. In other words, love is a verb. It is an action word. And there's a couple actions that are important for us to understand. The first one is love connects. That's an important action. I believe the Spirit of God works through our connections and relationships. I've got to tell you, folks, this shelter-at-home requirement has given me a whole new appreciation for Noah. For Noah was stuck on that floating zoo for a year with just his immediate family and a a whole cast of creatures from this earth. I, I really have a greater empathy with Noah after this. The Journal of Happiness Studies reveals that the difference between genuinely happy people and unhappy people has nothing to do with money, health, security, IQ, attractiveness, or career success. The distinguishing factor is relational connectedness. Loving relationships result in happy people. John Ortberg writes, he said, Connectedness is not the same thing as knowing many people. People may have many contacts in many networks, but they may not have any friends. So how important is loving connectedness? Well, scientist Donald Winnicott found that children who play in close proximity to their mothers are more creative than children who play at a distance. Now, there's something about this circle of connectedness that enables a child to show more energy, laugh more, and take more risks. Now, mom isn't doing anything for the child. But it is that connectedness that makes the difference. When the child feels loved, cared for, and protected, he feels stronger, bolder, and more creative. When you are relationally connected, you become more of yourself. This is one of the reasons why this time of social distancing is so hard on families. It impacts love's connecting power. So here's one of the challenges during this time— Find ways to connect when you can't be in close proximity. Honestly, using Zoom, GoToMeeting, Microsoft Teams, Facebook Live, FaceTime, and dozens of other tech programs aren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But they do help us stay in contact with those people who are important to our lives when we cannot do it face-to-face. And connecting at any level, it's really valuable. Robert Putnam made a powerful observation when he noted, as a rule of thumb, if you belong to no groups, but you decide to join one group, you just cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. Wow, that's incredible, which is why life groups matter so much. It's not optimum right now. Our life group isn't able to meet face-to-face, but we are meeting by Zoom. And I'm telling you, that's a whole lot better than not meeting at all. Stay Connected. And love not only connects, but love also obeys. John 14, 15. If you love me, Jesus said, you will obey what I command. Any parent knows this is one of the finest expressions that a child can offer to their parent. When a parent asks a child to do something or a parent asks a child not to do something, when the child obeys, it is a reward, it is an expression of love. When you disobey, you are dismissing. Your, your passion for your parents. It is an act of contempt. And what's true in our relationship with our earthly parents is also true in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. How do I express my love for God? You see, this is another thing we guys struggle with. You know, okay, I'm supposed to love God. What does that look like? I know what it means to love my spouse, my kids, or a, or a close friend, but what in the world am I supposed to do with love God, who I can't see and who I can't wrap my arms around? How do we do that? Jesus made it so clear and simple. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Or you could say it this way, when you keep my commandments, when you do what I ask you to do, it is an act of love to me. You see, we don't want to show contempt for our Heavenly Father. So let's do our best to express our love in our obedience. Loving God is becoming more like him. obedience isn't just avoiding the thou shalt nots of Scripture. It is actively doing what we've been asked to do and model for others what following Christ is all about. And guys, that's something I can understand. That's something you can understand. How do I love God? I do what He tells me to do. And that goes back to Him as an expression of love. And when we connect through love, And when we obey in love, it results in joy. That's the next one in this descriptive list. Now, for some, they look at that, whoa, whoa, being happy? That doesn't need to come second in the list. That could go at the end of the list. After all, is being happy all that important? Let me tell you something. Love and joy are more connected than you can possibly imagine. Listen to the words of the psalmist in Psalm 90 satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Do you see that? When God expresses his love to us, it brings joy and gladness all our days. I believe joy is the natural outgrowth of such love. And when we understand that the all-knowing and the all-powerful God of the universe loves us even when nobody else does, it still brings joy. And when we begin to imitate God's love in our own words and actions, joy happens in our life as well. Biblical joy is the expected and unmistakable result of biblical love in action in us and through us. Let me ask you something. When you do the right thing, don't you feel good inside? I do. When I do what God has asked me to do, I feel better about my life. On the other side of the coin, though, when I give in to a sinful choice, when I do what I know I'm not supposed to do, there's this emptiness, this oh, this harsh feeling inside of me because my expression of love to God is doing what he commands. And don't underestimate the value of joy, please. It is so much more than simply being happy. Happy is a feeling that is circumstantial. Joy, on the other hand, little, has little to do with circumstances, um, either good or or bad. But like genuine love, genuine joy is the outgrowth of strong relationships. You, do you see a pattern here developing in this garden of the Spirit's fruit? Therefore, things around you can be falling apart, but you can still be filled with joy. I, I've been cleaning out my office over the last few weeks and slowly moving books and old sermons home uh, to my home office. Um, By the way, I've glanced at some of those sermons from about 40 years ago and um, well, I've just got some really good kindling. If any of you are going to have a hard time starting your campfires this summer, you let me know. I can provide you with some good kindling in the form of paper and folder, all right? If the walls of my office could talk, I've been looking at these walls as I've gone through this process, and I've thought, if the walls of my office could talk, oh my goodness, the stories they could tell. Stories of panic, fear, and anxiety. Stories of inner heartfelt confession and deep remorse. These walls have heard wedding plans and funeral arrangements. They've heard doubts and deliberations as well as decisions and declarations. But most of all, These walls have known joy, the joy of the anticipation of a coming birth, or the joy of the reconciliation of a troubled marriage. These walls have witnessed the joy of someone deciding to follow Jesus Christ and to be baptized into him. Yes, these walls have echoed with tearful sobs, but they have echoed far more with joyful laughter. And for years to come, I will be able to hear and to feel the joy of those walls within my mind and heart. You see, through the ups and downs of life, it is the all-important relationship with God that leads to joy. Some people, maybe even you, suffer with what we call SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder. It's a depression or sadness that occurs in the absence of sunlight, Happens most often in the wintertime, but it's not limited to the wintertime. And the remedy? The remedy is full spectrum light and lots of it. Such light is known as a natural antidepressant. And by the way, as a natural disinfectant. Now the lights in our home produce somewhere between 200 and 300 lux. Lux is a measurement of light intensity. So our homes, 200, 300 lux. But a sunny day produces 50,000 to 100,000 lux. Wow, what an incredible difference being out in the light. When it comes to joy, I can't help think about what the Apostle John wrote in John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And a genuine relationship with God is, best, is the best disinfectant for the spiritual virus that we know as sin. You see, the closer you draw to God, the closer you draw to his light, the better. So in these dark days of the COVID-19 virus, look for the light switch that is God. If you want lasting joy, stick close to the light. And I'm so amazed at how God structured the brain. In This Is Your Brain on Joy, Dr. Earl Hinslin describes how joy and anxiety travel the same pathway in our brains. But here's the interesting part. There's not enough room for both to travel simultaneously. So we choose which one gets the path. If we choose to worry, there's no room left for joy. But if we open the gate for joy, worry has no room to tag along. I'm telling you, choose joy. And if you choose that inner joy, you'll find a reason to laugh. Science indicates that the average person laughs 540,000 times in a lifetime and cries 3,000 times. That's pretty exciting because medical research indicates that laughter Laughter has a profound and instantaneous effect on virtually every vital organ in the body. It reduces tension and relaxes muscle tissue. Even when forced, laughter is beneficial, both mentally and physically. (laughs) So even if you have to force yourself to laugh, do it because it's helpful. This sign was seen in an office waiting room. Everyone brings joy to this office, some when they come and others when they leave. (laughs) Make it your goal To bring joy with your arrival anywhere. And like a pleasant cologne, let the joy of your presence linger long after you're gone. You see, God created us to laugh. So chuckle, giggle, snicker as often as you can. Laughter reflects the inherent joy that is in us, and it really is good medicine. And when you love like the Lord, and when you live in the joy of the Lord you will have inner peace. That's the third in this description of the Spirit's fruit. It is that contentment and satisfaction that Paul writes about in Philippians, that letter whose theme is joy. And remember Paul wrote that from the dark dank mamertime prison in Rome, a place that you would think would be devoid of joy and devoid of love and devoid of peace. But once again, the peace that passes all understanding, that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, and the joy that we have in God is not dependent upon our circumstances. It comes as a result of our relationship with the Lord. See how this garden grows? Oh, I wish I had time to explore all the rest of them. But you know, that, that's a good thing for you to do this week. I'm gonna encourage you this week, take time to go through those other descriptions of the fruit of the spirit and find out, is the spirit really working in my life? Is that garden virtue planted in my heart? But here's the real challenge. See how much better you can make your home in this coming week. Improve the story your home walls could tell if your walls could talk. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for the mothers, grandmothers, daughters who are mothers, wives, and and family who have made such an incredible difference in our lives. Lord, we're grateful for our homes. And we pray that you'll help us to do our best no matter what the circumstances in our homes whether we're married with children at home, whether our kids are gone, whether we're alone again, whether we've never been married. Lord, I just pray that our homes within those walls will be a reflection of your love for us and our love for you. Bless this day our lives to be an example to the world for your glory and for your honor. In Christ we pray. Amen.